G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. True treasures cannot be in material things because material things always fade. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we continue hearing about how to witness evidence of transformation by the work of Jesus in our lives. In particular, how we use the resources God has given us. He says, oh, I got enough now. I got plenty of grain stored up for years. I'm going to take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. Jesus says, you're a fool because all your investments are in the here and now and it's all going to burn up. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we continue Evidence of Transformation. Jesus said it in different ways. He said this in Matthew 6, 19, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What's he saying in the passage? We've heard this quoted all our lives, but here's what his point is. True treasures cannot be in material things. Because material things always fade. You can be certain they'll be burned up. So what is the only thing that's not material? The soul. So the question is, are you investing in that which is eternal? Or is the major part of your resources, are the major parts of your resources invested in something that will, something that's physical, something that is destined for failure? The best investments do not concern the body, but you'd never know that by people in LA. (laughs) Did you know, I read a report this past week that Americans spent more on plastic surgery than any previous year. Last year, I thought we had a tough economy in the last few years. But the thing that really got my attention is Christians in LA evidently spend just as much on cosmic surgery as non-Christians. I'm not condemning plastic surgery. I'm not. Well, what's your point then? My point is this. If I gave you a pair of scales, which one do you think you spend most of your resources on? Or which would you be willing? On the physical or on spiritual? Most of us would not think a thing about spending 10, 15 grand going into debt to something that makes us look better. (laughs) But we would never think about giving that much to something that might help somebody far from God come near to God. You see, that's Jesus' point. Hey, don't tell me that you're living life for beyond the trees and then I take out and look at how you use your resources and everything in it reflects that you're all about life between the trees. God in Christ communicates that he has given us valuable resources. James five seventeen. every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Psalm 124, the earth is the Lord's, everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas, established it on the waters. John 3, 27, my favorite verse in this context, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Everything you have has been given to you by God. And Jesus says, you'll know the people 
who have been truly transformed by the gospel because they'll be the ones that know the body is dying, but the soul lives forever. And the primary part, not the only part, but the primary part of their investment in their lives is for life beyond the trees. I think this story in Luke that we read is one of the most powerful statements Jesus ever made because he looks at a guy who says, you know, I got a lot of stuff. What am I going to do? I'll just build some bigger barns. And then he says, now that I've got everything I need, I'm just going to sit back. I'm going to eat, drink, be merry, take it easy. And then Jesus says, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? That's the key. You've prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now notice something about this. He does not condemn the guy for working hard. He does not condemn the guy for gaining wealth. No. The condemnation is related to the reality this guy has all this wealth and he thinks it's for him and his own little kingdom. He says, oh, I got enough now. I got plenty of grain stored up for years. I'm gonna take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Jesus says, you're a fool because all your investments are in the here and now and it's all gonna burn up. The real question is, are you rich toward God? You say, well, how can I be rich toward God? By investing in what is beyond the trees. I hear again. If you truly, you can talk a good game. I can, you can, we can. Man, we can say all the right things. We, yep, I'm all about the kingdom of God. I think Jesus would say to you that famous Greek word, baloney. <laughs> baloney. Just be honest with yourself. Don't say that. Because I've seen you. I follow you around. I know you're not perfect. Jesus would say, I'm not expecting you to be. I know you sin. I know you do. I'm there to pick you up. But don't say that you are living for life beyond the trees because I see how you spend your resources that have been shoved your way by God himself. Jesus is saying the person who's had their heart truly changed by the gospel, you get that the guy who had everything left it all to die for you. And that does something in you. It makes you want to help people who are far from God come near to God. That's why the second characteristic is this. They will move heaven and earth to help people secure life in the world to come. Now, can I remind you of something just in case we've forgotten it? And this is not popular. You do realize there is no other way to God except through Jesus Christ. Sincerity does not get you to heaven. Good hard work will not get you to heaven. If it will, then God is a masochist. He has done something to his own son that he didn't need to do. But if the only way you can get to God is through Christ, then God is just in what he has done by taking your sins and putting them on his son so that you could be forgiven and come into relationship with God. You say, well, I don't get that. I don't like that. Why does somebody have to atone for my sins? And the reason is because God is holy A lot more holy than you could ever imagine. Well, why can't I atone for my own sins and good works? Well, that's called religion. And religion does three things. It severely overestimates your own goodness that you could ever be good enough to be accepted by God. No matter how many pilgrimages you took, how many good things you tried to do, no matter how many prayers you pray. And it severely underestimates the holiness of God. He's far more holy than you could ever imagine. But here's the third thing it does, and that's what's wrong with our world. It creates a platform of abuse. Because when you have preachers and leaders manipulating people to do what they want them to do in order to earn salvation, man, that sets the stage for abuse. But if salvation is by grace through faith, that God did for us what we could not do for ourselves, that he atoned for our sins, that his blood flows out 
to each and every one of us. That no one else could do what he did and no one else did do what he did. When you truly embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, there is a cause and effect. The cause is the blood of Jesus covers your sin. And don't let any pastor ever manipulate you into doing something that you think will earn you salvation. That's already been done on the cross. But there, there is an effect. I think there's a natural result that happens in a person that's overwhelmed by the grace of Christ. Do you know the name Billy Sunday? Anybody? A couple of you older guys will. Billy Sunday is perhaps, was perhaps the most popular Major League Baseball player of his time. Now we're talking 1800s here, I know, which is why I don't have a photo. I mean, I can send you a photo. It's on Google, but he just looks so weird I didn't want to put it on the screen. <laughs> he was an outstanding outfielder and slugger. But later in his life, he became the most celebrated proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And one time, on one occasion, some young preachers went up to his hotel room and asked him, how do you do it? How does the power come over you when you preach that people just come to Christ in droves? What is it? What's your secret to crafting a message? And he walked the two young men over to a window and he looked down in the street and he said, because he and he and he and he are going to hell. That's why there's power and passion, because I truly believe that without the cross of Jesus Christ, you're headed for a Christless eternity. See, the point is, everybody knows they exist forever. The essential you goes on. The question is, what quality of life do you have? And Billy Sunday believed. And so I ask you, you got to ask yourself this important question. Do you believe that without Christ, man is eternally doomed? If you don't, you've not yet received Christ. Not the Christ of the Bible. The Christ of the Bible tells you that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no way to the Father except through him. And the reason is, is because nobody else died for your sins. So you might, you know, you look at a pastor like me and you say, boy, you're an arrogant punk to believe it. Your way is the only way. Number one, it's not my way. Number two, I didn't invent this story. But it makes sense to me that if God is so holy that you and I can't come into his presence then our sins have got to be atoned for. No other religious leader died for my sins. And so the question question that I have for you, if you're really living life or what's beyond the trees, then can I ask you, how are you using your circle of influence for the cause of Christ to help people far from God come near to God? One of my favorite things about being in court was the cafe outside the courthouse. It's called the... Justice Cafe. You ever been there? The guy who runs it. I mean, this is right in the civic court. And the guy who runs it has Bible verses everywhere. Everywhere. And be careful that you start a conversation with him because it won't be short. My favorite one, he said, all you need is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus. (laughs) Another one says, I can do all things through prayer and coffee. (laughs) And we struck up a conversation. His whole mission in life is to encounter people in conversation as they come in thinking about justice, thinking about what Christ has done for them. I love this guy. I know that not all of you are top A personalities. You know, when you go to court on Monday morning, there's a guy standing out there preaching the gospel as you walk in. It's a ministry. Think about it. He's preaching the gospel as you're waiting to go in. People hate it, but not all people. And he's very, I was impressed because he's gentle. 
You know, he was gentle, just proclaiming the love of God. Not all of us are like that, I know, but here's what I do know. People who are living for the land beyond are constantly praying that God would place them in positions of influence. Do you realize that most of the conversions in the book of Acts, other than the day of Pentecost, were when one person happened to encounter another person by a divine appointment made by God? And so the question is, are you praying daily for those appointments? Because if you're living for life beyond the trees, you're going to move heaven and earth to help people far from God come near to God. This is Today with Jeff Vines, and we're hearing about how evidence of transformation is witnessed in our lives. Let's continue with Pastor Jeff. Do you remember the story of the four guys in uh, Mark 2? Remember the story of the four guys who take their paralytic friend, this is a great passage, and lower him down through the roof so that he can meet Jesus. So these four friends go to great lengths to do whatever they can to get their paralytic friend to Jesus in hopes of what? That Jesus would make him walk again. (laughs) So they lower the guy down. Let me read to you how the story unfolds. When Jesus saw their faith, that is the friends, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. (laughs) You think about this. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does a fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, if I'm the four friends of the paralytic, I'm thinking, oh, you're kidding, right? We didn't bring him here to get his sins forgiven. We want you to heal him. When Jesus says this, then everybody else breaks out into a theological discussion about who can forgive sins. I can just see the paralytic saying, yo, I'm still here. I'm right here, you know. But why did Jesus state it that way? Tim Keller in his book about the book of Mark says that Jesus was simply saying to the man, I could heal you, but you're still going to die. You got a bigger problem than not being able to walk. Your bigger problem is your soul and it's going to live for eternity. So what I say to you is your sins are forgiven. Wow. (laughs) Think about it. We can go out and feed everybody, heal everybody, build new houses, dig wells. They're still going to die. That's why the job is not complete without the proclamation of the gospel. Jesus heals the body and the soul. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And 1 Peter 3.15, here we go again. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Why would, why would God give Peter the instructions to be ready in season and out of season? Because you never know when you're going to have a divine appointment. When God sends somebody across your path. In fact, if you're really living your life for life beyond the trees, you're constantly praying that God would send somebody across your path and that you would have the words to say that would help them cross over. Okay. They invest their resources primarily in what is beyond. They will move heaven and earth to help people secure life in the world to come. And then they are constantly watching and standing guard over their souls waiting for eternity. Now, this is the end, but I need your attention, okay? Without Christ, you are going to hell. Now, we can talk about what hell is in another sermon. A lot of misunderstandings. For right now, hell simply means separation from God. The imagery of hell is simply for you to know that if you reject God here, 
then eternity, you will be placed in a, a realm where there's the absence of God, therefore the absence of every good thing. Okay? Now, all through the scripture though, the Bible tells us, watch yourself. Watch yourself that you don't fall back in for the lie of life between the trees because it's going to be hard. He says in 2 Timothy 1.14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. In Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. The best way I can, I hope, motivate us here. C.S. Lewis tells a, a story in the, the Great Divorce. Pastors have used it for years. It's just so good. It's where there's a bus headed to eternity. And the, the people who are headed to a Christless eternity are ghost-like figures because they've never been complete people because they've tried to fulfill themselves through things that never satisfy. And Lewis is brilliant in the way he describes this. But one of the young, middle-aged, old, whatever, ghost-like figures moves away from the bus and starts moving toward heaven. He meets an angel. And the angel notices the ghost-like figure has a lizard on his shoulder. And the lizard, if you've read Lewis, represents the things that we invest in in this life that we think will give us life but ultimately end up destroying us. So as he moves toward the angel, the angel says, do you want me to kill it? And he says, no, 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 I'm quite happy with it because he's got accustomed to it. It's his identity now. Do you want me to kill it? No, no, no. He's not that bad. And again, he moves closer. The angel says, do you want me to kill it? Uh, no, that's not necessary. I'll be fine. Look at him. He's sleeping now. He's not even awake. Do you want me to kill it? And then the guy keeps moving closer, although he said, no, don't kill it. And the closer he moves, the more he realizes that as he gets closer to holiness, he starts burning. And the angel moves closer and reaches out his hand and it burns him. He says, do you want me to kill it? And he says, no, no, you're, you, if you kill it, you'll kill me. Look, I, you're burning me now. He said, no, I won't kill you. I won't kill you. Do you want me to kill it? Well, how can you say that? I'm hurting, I'm in pain. He said, I didn't say I wouldn't hurt you. I just said I wouldn't kill you. Do you want me to kill it? And finally he says, okay, be, be, okay, go ahead then, whatever. Just go ahead. And he puts his hand and Lewis writes that he lets out a scream that is the worst scream he had ever heard. But the man that was ghost-like begins to take full body and becomes a real man and the lizard goes through this kind of metamorphosis it starts to change until finally it turns into a beautiful stallion here's the message the best things in life are on the other side of your maximum fear What you think is giving you life is killing you. You've attached yourself to something between the trees and it's robbing you of everything. And if you're really and truly living for what is beyond the trees, you're gonna give that to God and it's gonna hurt because you've never been without it. But on the other side is a beautiful stallion. The best things in life are on the other side of your maximum fear. People who live for life beyond the trees understand. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with that story. 
When one lizard dies, there's a gazillion waiting to hop on your shoulder, but there's only one stallion. And if you don't live your life in community with people who keep you and hold you accountable, if you take the battle lightly, Jesus says, be careful. He who perseveres receives the crown of life, which tells me that there are some who don't persevere and get sucked back into life between the trees. I think that you'll find people who understand what's at stake in churches and in Bible studies. You'll find them bearing one another's burdens and sins and fears. You'll find them living in accountability and community. And you'll find them surrounding themselves with people who will constantly remind him of the world that is to become. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, said, I have learned to define life backwards. First determine the goal and then live life accordingly. Here is my question for all of us. You say that the gospel has transformed you. Let's back up. We say the gospel has transformed us and that we're living in this life and we're going to enjoy, but ultimately we're living for life beyond the trees. That's what we say. Now, here's the point. Jesus said, okay, here's your little checkup. Am I investing my resources primarily in what is beyond? It doesn't mean that you can't spend your money on your stuff here. It's fine. Primarily, though, your passion is what is beyond. Number two, am I moving heaven and earth to help people secure life in the world to come? And am I constantly watching and standing guard over my soul waiting for eternity? If you can say yes to those questions, then the walk that you're walking matches the talk that you're talking. Father, thank you for your goodness and mercy to us when we don't walk the walk. We know that that grace is there for us forever. It covers a multitude of sin. But Father, would you open our eyes to the reality that when we've been transformed by the gospel, something happens, there's a cause and effect? The natural byproduct of a truly changed heart that realizes Jesus left everything to do for us what we could not do for ourselves is that we would leave everything so that we could help people far from God come near to God. We would invest in what truly matters. Yes, we would live our lives here to the fullest and pursue abundant life, but ultimately our passion would be for the world that is to come. And in doing so, we would stand on guard, we would watch ourselves, that we didn't get sucked back into believing that this is all there is. Thus, live a life that is not sacrificial, that is not generous, that is not compelling, and forfeit our opportunity to change the world for the good news of the gospel. Open our eyes in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. And that's the end of his message, Evidence of Transformation. A great challenge to us to fix our eyes beyond this world and on those things that point others to Jesus. Please join us next time for a new message in the Gospel in Life series. Today with Jeff Vines. Just another way vision is connecting faith to your life.
Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.